Okay, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go. Let's pray, let's pray, let's go, let's pray, let's go. Almighty and everlasting God, who has willed to restore all things through your well-beloved Son, our King and our Lord, mercifully grant to all peoples and all nations divided and wounded by sin, your forgiveness that brought under the gentle yoke of your loving rule, we rejoice with you and the Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. Glad you're excited. It's a fun morning. Uh, you know, it's a fun morning when you run out of hosts at the altar. So, you know, if four more people would have shown up, the service would have been a disaster. So we're very, very glad to see uh, how you were. We almost had to excommunicate the choir. There was no, there was no body and blood for them, but... They would come back the next service and it all would have had a happy ending. So it's very nice to see you. A couple of reminders. Um, there's a thing for Christmas sharing. If you eat at Portillo's, I think Portillo's will give us $100,000 for Christmas sharing. Just ask them. Say, I'm here from St. John. I'd like to check for $100,000. Because you know we don't do fundraisers here. So we'd have to have like a threshold of $100,000. It was a little like when people wanted to put their name on windows inside. I'm like... Yeah, the total renovation is $2 million, and for $2 million, we will rename this St. G. G. Lutheran Church. I mean, it's not that we can't be bought, it's just that our levels are very high. So uh, buy your greens, buy your hot dogs, fund everything, and tend your giving, because you you know, you're not so good this month, and John's getting nervous. So uh, pay attention, okay? Uh, let's see. We do accept crypto. So... <laughs> Make sure you check that box on your taxes that says you've traded it. We wouldn't want to see any of you in jail. We don't have enough bandwidth for that. So I thought to myself, well, you know, everything is going to be great. And I thought to myself as I was writing this up this week, everything is fabulous and life's good and people are getting their rhythm back. And then I get this in my mailbox. Now, this is from the CDC. Now, I know some of you, the CDC is not your favorite organization. You've let me know this, okay? However... You know, I, you know, how big a lie can be told? So even if you divide this by two, this is still shocking that 51% of people in America uh, between 18 and 29 report they're suffering from depression. I can just tell you, I, I don't, if I turn it to landscape, it's going to be like this. Yeah, let me just do it like this, Okay. <laughs> I mean, we could have gone 85 inches, but you didn't give enough, so you have to suffer now. Hold on. Watch this, the magic of all things. How about just like that? Hey, if you need any more help, just turn your things off and on, and then call me if you need more help after that, okay? Because that'll be $1,000. Okay, so, um, you know, it's, uh, if, if that's even half true that under pe- half the people under the age of 30 are reporting. Now, I will tell you, I've checked with a couple of doctors on this. I always have like doctors I call and say, can this be true? This is a little like when you know, we were under the mass edict and people were all nervous about this. I happened to go for my annual physical to my doc, and I was asking him, he's like, there are 12 people in CDH with COVID right now, and we were going under the mass. That's why we weren't wearing masks, because it wasn't really real, right? Even if this is only half right, uh, gosh, to have 25% reporting, 51% self-report they're depressed or anxious to the point where 
you know, it's debilitating. That's a big, big number. Um, I've talked to a couple of doctors who have said, basically, we're out of people to refer to. And one of the parts of the story is that uh, emergency rooms are being filled up with people who have uh, psychological needs. It's real stuff. Don't diminish it. But, uh, you know, this is difficult, right? So in one sense, I thought, ah, it feels like the fog is lifting, but maybe it's just lifting around us. So pay attention to people and to yourselves and to your families and be merciful to people around you. And then we need to keep going. This whole thing was about, uh, you know, why is our anxiety so high? Or especially among Christians, why are things so difficult, right? And we're trying to, uh, we're trying to figure it out. So, um, now I'll go to landscape and we'll see if we can do some good. Maybe this will work as I struggled yesterday. All right, uh, grab your sheet. I, you know, <laughs> even I. John Crow, look. Landscape. There you go. <laughs> see, you're the magic guy. It's like, it's like there's the force coming, the technological force coming from the back corner. So, uh, yeah, there you go. That's only if I'd need to draw on. Who knows, right? So let's at least start with St. Ambrose. You remember, you know, we've had a couple of, you had a couple of great weeks with Pastor uh, Kendall having you hide your wounds inside the wounds of Christ, just like uh, Thomas does on the first Easter. Go ahead and hide all your troubles inside my side. You can reach in there and just, just leave your stuff. A little like when you go to the Eucharist, you just leave it over the rail. Somebody else will clean it up. It'll be okay. And then... Um, you know, last week, I mean, uh, Pastor Bynes, who, you, if you didn't go to church, you should go to church. I mean, this is a brilliant sermon, and so thankful for that, and for last week as well, that just like Paul and like Peter and like the three men in the fire furnace, you can't retreat. I mean, where does Jesus retreat? Only when he says his prayers, and then he comes back for more. So, um, St. Ambrose, you're beautiful. You're the image of God. You're the glory of God. You're great, so be vigilant. Right? That's where we started six, eight weeks ago, right? So the troubles are still around us. You know, there's this sense that people are just overwhelmed, that they're just torn apart and crushed. If you talk to people, it's still there. Maybe not so much among you. That would be good. Um, I would think that your snapback has a lot to do with going to the Eucharist and saying your prayers. And it kind of talks to the strength of the community. On the other hand, you know, about 20 people a week are coming back. So, you know, we're 20 more than we were last week and 40 more than we were the week before. And people are starting to come back and um, nobody's dropped dead and it's all okay and the Eucharist is still there and the choir was fabulous. Was the choir not fabulous? Like, you kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember how good that is, right? So thank you very much and thank you to Peter and to all the instrumentalists. It was really, really good, right? But, you know, we've explained this now. Why do you feel so anxious? You shouldn't think of this last 20, 22 months, whatever it is, as so strange. It just manifests differently. Why do people have struggle? Because you have a bad heart. And we read that from Jesus. Out of the heart proceeds all manner of. And then he lists all the troubles that we have. So this is very, very simple. Uh, If you want to get better, cure people's hearts. That's what you need to do. If you want to get better... Uh, cure hearts. And so I give you at the bottom then, and this goes with the thing of you can't say it in five words or less, you don't know what you're talking about. Idolatry is the only sin. So I'd given this to you earlier, pride is the only sin, but pride and idolatry are the same sin. Idolatry just mass, it's, it's, it shows itself as pride, right? So we're in this world where 
pride. I, I read something yesterday about how uh, 23-year-olds are driving 40-year-olds crazy because 40-year-olds are in managerial positions as startups and now they feel like they're old. They don't know what to do with 23-year-olds making fun of them because they use the wrong emoji and say the wrong words and <laughs> kind of like, yeah, you deserve that. But anyway, there was the... Um, they talked about the millennials being the me generation and then the Zs as being the me, me, me generation. I'm like, okay. So those participation trophies were a bad idea <laughs> because you told everybody they were okay no matter win, lose, or draw, whether they tried or not, whether they you know, drank juice boxes the whole time or hit a home run. It's all the same. Don't worry. You'll love Siberia. Anyway, uh, as St. Ambrose reminds us, you know, you're meant for more. And so I give you these... When I give you a capital letter, I give you a capital letter because that's a divine virtue. So what is Jesus? Beauty, right? Just like Jesus' wisdom. What is Jesus? Glory. What is Jesus' image? These, when you get a big letter, um, that's something that Jesus gives. What's the Holy Trinity? One and also three. Uh, so that is the kind of otherworldly thing that you get to be a part of even right now. That's why when, um, you know, in Greece we had a chance to, our schedule got mixed up because of the rain, so we ended up going to an Orthodox church on a Sunday morning, and our, we had a very clever, older, experienced, wonderful guide who got us into the crypt of a church, St. Demetrius in Athens, by walking us through the service. You're like, this doesn't happen. Usually things are closed. Um, in fact, safety tip, next time you go to Paris, or any church, this is true in Venice too, if you want to have the church to yourself, just when the guard stops you, just say, the mass, the mass, and keep walking toward the altar. Notre Dame used to open at 7, not for tourists till 9, but for mass at 7. But if you stayed to pray in the whole church for two hours by yourself and had Notre Dame to yourself, not a bad deal. The mass will save you, the mass, the mass. Anyway, we walked through this where some people were not supposed to take any pictures, and yet pictures did appear. <laughs> However, I shouldn't, this is, this is pot calling the kettle black because my favorite picture of myself probably in the whole world is touching this, this spot, Kirby stepped a picture inside the tomb of Jesus where they had just uncovered the marble slab where beneath it was the next slab. That's like, no pictures, and then we're like, Man, we're Lutherans. So... Uh, <laughs> Just one picture, okay? So anyway, um, you know, you have this otherworldly thing. You know, you walk into an Orthodox church, you're going, ah, I've gone, I've died and gone to heaven, right? And like this morning, it's glorious, glorious stuff. So, you know, you're meant for more. And it is the touch of Jesus that uh, puts us on the way. So whether it's a touch in your ear or on your skin or on your tongue, it's this touch of Jesus that heals you. And um, that touches then protection against the demonic. I've been thinking a lot about this fear that so many people have experienced, and actually gen general anxiety. And I know one of the problems with fear and anxiety is it's irrational. And so we have, at least I do, I have this notion of trying to define it rationally and then fix it rationally, and then it should all just be okay. But I understand that you know, fear and anxiety are very, they're primal, they're irrational, right? And you can't control them, and your heart starts to beat, and you, you, know, you get sweaty, you can't breathe, and you know, you can think about it all day long, but it's hard to... All that said, in your off hours when you're not so anxious or when you can entertain 
uh, a rational thought, as in sit down and have a cup of coffee and let's talk this over. The real question is, Israel, what are you scared of? Like, what do we think is going to happen? And I wonder if we asked that question about the last 20 months, like, what do we actually think was going to happen? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen to you? Your church is going to close, you're going to be sick, you're going to die. Hey, dropping dead is a pretty good deal on the scale of things that are going to happen to you. So maybe we should work back from that. Like, if you drop dead, you already had your big death in baptism, so your small death is, you know, you know, we have a service for you and then have green jello. Okay, all right. I mean, the jello part's bad, but the death part. All good. If you just kind of work back to what's really going to happen to you and how bad, but there is that note in, you know, mine's had like a dozen like one-off lines this morning, but one was, the devil, the world, our flesh always replay for us our weaknesses and sins. He said it better. Right? So we've spent 20 or 21 or 22 months replaying all these horrible things that are going to happen to us that are really never going to happen to us. And frankly, when they happen to us, take your medicine, but why should it ruin the next two, five, ten years of your life, right? But see, that's to think rationally, and none of us are in kind of a rational mode. In fact, rationality isn't prized. So um, we're just in a very interesting time right now. But if you could think to yourself, what is it that you're afraid of? And if this is actually true, that now is the judgment of this world, and now the rule of this world is cast out. So this is point number three from John 12. If it's actually true that... When Jesus died, the ruler of this world was cast out. As C.S. Lewis, you know, said in Mere Christianity, uh, Jesus won the day, now he's just mopping up, right? So whatever you think is happening, yeah, that's not what's happening, because Jesus has won the day. So if it's actually true that Jesus has won the day, and now we're just mopping up, what is it that we're so afraid of? We really should think about that, because what happens is, those fears then become idols. They're idols because they're at the center of our world and that's what we tend all the time. The thing that you're always staring at, that always pulls your attention, that bends your will, that's your idol, right? So you know, just kind of think about this. When you have a clear time, when you're not anxious, just ask yourself, what is it that I'm so, so nervous about? And over the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is start with the high priestly prayer and then work backwards. So where I want to end today, if we get all the way there, is that there's a very simple idea that Jesus is truth. What, what Jesus tells you is true. And um, because he tells you the truth, you have a solid uh, grasp on what's going to happen to you next. So if we can do that, um, that would be great. All right, so we're just at point number four. Healing takes some time. So I just want to say to you, um, I know that there's all sorts of places instantaneously where Jesus touches somebody and they're healed. But you remember, there also has that very cryptic uh, miracle story, the only one like it, where Jesus, there's a man who can't see, and Jesus says, you're healed. And then the guy says, I don't think the prescription is right on my glasses. Do you remember what he says this? He says, I see men walking, but they 
look like trees, right? What's Jesus doing there? Everybody else is like, do, 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 do. And, but they have this instance where it takes some time. He grows into it. It's sequential. Have patience. It's going to be okay. And then, boom, he sees clearly. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I know, I know that you want, I know that you want uh, things to all work out right now. Sometimes things don't all work out right now. And it is, in, it is in, in, in the gap, right, in the breach, where you find out what kind of person you really are. We find out who we are, uh, you know, when there's, when there's trouble. So, you know, give yourself a little space and maybe other people as well, and realize that it takes some time for people to get back our rhythm. Even this morning, uh, the liturgy was gorgeous, and we who served made ten mistakes, right? Not everybody would know them, but like for us, it's like, uh, it's just like, it's like nails on a chalkboard when that happens. You know, you're just kind of going, ah, you know, this isn't excellence. This isn't us, right? This isn't who we are. This isn't how we do things here. Um, and yet there are things like, you know, the, the music was flawless. And so that's kind of saves the day, right? The, the, I mean, the sermon was brilliant. You kind of go, ah, at least, at least we didn't, we didn't, we, not Patrick, at least we didn't get in the way of that. Um, Anyway, give yourself a little bit of space because sometimes it takes a while to get our rhythm back. One of the interesting things most practically about that is, uh, you know, Pastor Kendall has been here 20 months or whatever, 21 months. He's basically been here most of COVID. People go to him now familiar, as if he is familiar, which is good because he's been around. But like today was the first baptism he did in a service. He's probably done five or six baptisms, all small together. But then people expect of him, like, he's going to know where everybody's going to stand, and he's going to be able to fiddle off the oil ring and hold his book too and the lid backhanded and go behind his back and <laughs> anoint the kid and come back to it. Nobody's going to, right, see? So it's all going to take us a little bit of time to find our rhythm again. We've got to be good with that. And, you know, you know, you can talk about that as patience, but you should also talk about it as maturity. It takes us a while to remember what we've been given. And you should also remember that it's not going to be easy. There's a great quote, I think, last week. I think it was, I can't, I think it was Abba Agathon who said, you know, it's the, the famous quote that ends that prayer is warfare till the last breath. But earlier than that, as he says, as soon as you begin to pray, the demons entangle you. And I wonder if you, um, I know that that's discouraging for, for some of you, it has been for me, that as soon as you begin to do something that's good, you come back to church. Life gets harder. You know, you get baptized, life gets harder. You say your prayers, life gets harder. You go to the Eucharist, life gets harder, which isn't what you expect. It's because there's this demonic reflex. Part of the anxiety that people have when they don't follow through with discipline is that they stop at the pain point and don't push beyond that. And, you know, the story of Jesus going to the cross is that of pushing beyond, right? Jesus in the Passion story has several places where he can stop uh, and turn the other way. It frankly starts with the temptations, the very first action. But regularly, Jesus has a chance to stop. And he doesn't stop because why? He's aiming at beauty, big B, oneness, big O, glory, big G, right? He's aiming at things that are otherworldly, and he aims at that for you. 
So, you know, again, this goes with thinking about what is it that really bothers you? Why are you so anxious? Why am I so anxious? Why is this so troubling? You know, why, why are you up in the middle of the night? What is it that you're thinking about? It can be a range of things. And I just, I want to be really clear. I'm not being critical about that, but I am in a good moment. If you could think about what it is that you're really afraid of, that would be helpful for you because you don't really need to be afraid of that. If it's really true that the cross is the center of the universe and that everything is conquered in the crucifixion and that someday this world will be vindicated and restored, if it's really true that everything is forgiven, if it's really true that you die your big death in the baptismal font and later you're just changing rooms, if that's really true... Now I'm moving toward John 17 where Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Let them mature in truth. Hallow them in truth. Forgive them in truth. Move them to truth. Let them grow up in truth. Let them get a rhythm that's truthful again. And if it's really true that the big problem for everybody is security, right? I'm anxious because things are going to blow apart. Okay, then maybe understanding that when Jesus says, I'm truth, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that you would move into truth. Maybe we could all just have a calm moment. Maybe we could get our, get our rhythm back, right? And that's what we're trying to move to. So point number four, this just takes some time. And anytime you try to do something good, evil is gonna have a go at you. But in the end, um, it just takes repetition. And this is like, you know, I've wearied over this over my years in Wheaton. And now I hardly even pay attention to it. But, you know, this whole notion that anything that's not unique and for the first time isn't really, isn't really enthusiastic or well-meaning, I'm completely the other way. I mean, I was when I came, but 25 years later, I'm 10,000 times where I was, which is, if you think the Lord's Prayer is boring when you say it once, say it 100 times a day for a month and come back to me, because your life will change the grind of the repetition of doing the right thing over and over and over and over again until it has such a grip on you, you, you couldn't live without it, which is how many of you feel about the Eucharist and morning Eucharist and all the other things that you get offered in the liturgy. It's how you think about music, right? So you kind of go, you should reflect on this morning of what you've missed over the last 20 months and why it's important to support that and how great it is to have um, Nathan and Peter here and all the people who played I mean, you, you kind of go, holy cow, right? So you, like you, keep, you keep grinding through this stuff because you're moving toward what is true. Look, you do it because it's true. You don't need another reason that Jesus is true. Now, sometimes we learn by doing. Most times we learn by doing. That great quote from Benedict last week or the week before where he said, being overwhelmed by beauty is a much more important way to think than being overwhelmed by reason. Being overwhelmed by beauty is much more persuasive. Sitting in front of an icon and seeing what that says to you or smelling the incense and sitting in candlelight, right? Or, 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 or. You do it because it's true. Eventually... What is true displaces what is false. What is um, good displaces what is evil. What is calm displaces 
what is chaotic. And so we did a week where we talked about Jesus in the, in the book of Mark where everything is chaotic and Jesus arrives on the scene. He's the only guy who looks around and isn't completely distracted. He sizes up the room. He figures out what the real problem is. He looks at the person and says, you're better, and he moves on, right? And he even does it full blast, Mark chapter 2, the paralytic, where everybody thinks he should say you should walk, and he says to the guy, you're forgiven. He's like, okay, if you need to know that he's forgiven, he can walk, okay, then you can walk too, right? So you get walking and forgiveness all in. But Jesus is like, I'll fix everything. So in some ways, you know that theology is working when all the big words mean the same thing. So truth means Jesus, means glory, means forgiveness, means love, means virtue, means the way home, means Eden restored. Right? When all these words mean the same thing, then you're back home to heaven. That's how you know you have it right. Because then they're all words that that emanate from Christ, and embrace us and change us and pull us back home. When all those words are the same. That's why at the end I sort of say, or at the end of this little bit, I say love is the only virtue. Idolatry is the only sin. You trust something else. You think COVID is going to kill you. You think the government's going to kill you. You think people on the street are going to kill you. You think going back to work is going to kill you. You say that often enough, and it's always at the center of your life. That's your God. On the other hand, if you say... The Eucharist is my salvation. I live from my baptism, and I want to do better, and I'm forgiven in absolution. And, 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 Christ is your God. And so I've been reticent to talk about this because too many pastors went too early and kind of unmercifully toward people about, you know, you're just scared. People had a right to be scared. It was difficult. People who weren't scared, I could introduce you to the people in the congregation who had parents who died you'll think differently about it then, right? That said, this deep in, it's time to get our rhythm back. Here we go. And the way that you do that is to reestablish Christ as Lord and love is the only virtue. Faith, hope, love abide, these things. The greatest, the only one that lasts is love because God is love. And you see when all the words start to mean the same thing. So God is love and forgiveness is love and holiness is love and Eden is love, and incarnation is love, and the creation of Adam is love, and the Lord rests on the seventh day, and things are good. That's where we're going back to. So uh, as quickly as we can, but try to have some mercy on the people around you because this is not easy. So then the question, and this is the question we're sort of aiming at, Uh, As we go from people who disagreed about a lot of things, even in this place, and were fragmented, and some people were strong, and some people were weak, and some people were home, and some people were here, and some people were masked, and other people weren't, and what are we going to do? Okay, what is it that holds us together? First, this broad agreement that the crucifixion is the center of the universe, that it's the only thing that makes sense, as Dorothy Sayers once said of Easter, but you could say it of the cross as well. The resurrection is the only thing that ever really happened. The crucifixion is the only thing that ever really happened. Everything else is at second level, right? The resurrection is the only thing that ever really happened in the entire history of the world. If you come to that, and that's the confession of the church, then your life will change. 
right? And calm will displace anxiety and holiness will displace sinfulness and maturity will replace impulsiveness and love for your neighbor as yourself will replace the self-idolatry of me or me, 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 right? And so you live in the world, but you're not of the world, as Jesus says. Secondly, and we did a little bit of this, but I just want to remind you of this. It's not just enough to say that the cross is the center of the universe. You also have to say what Luther says, which is, in baptism, in absolution, in the word, I am cemented to Christ. So you are entangled you are intertwined with Christ. And so then this next bit makes sense. You are meant, and I am meant, to embrace the humility of Christ in all that we do. And humility is um, underrated and almost abandoned because we live in a society that is intent on people asserting their will and not for the common good. We are intent as a society to insert, assert our own good, most folks. The overriding impulse is to, and if it was this bad in the past, at least leaders kept it hidden. But there's no, there's no question uh, that as Christianity declines and is scorned, the impulse towards pride and the imposition of our will on other people becomes the primary thing. So... We embrace this notion of humility and suffering with Christ. And you know this, and we don't have to read it all, but you know this story of Paul. So the Lord's pick on the road to Damascus, along with being made an apostle, also is given a limp, if you will. Right? Never just quite works for him. He always feels bad. Um, he, he's, there's something physical that Satan uses to kind of twist the knife in them, try to get him not to believe what's true, try to get him to doubt his experience with Jesus. And then the answer to that, of course, is grace. My grace is sufficient for you. And I wonder if we, um, you know, we don't have, we don't have that reflex in us, but we should. This notion that uh, God's grace is sufficient for us. It's not often the first thing that we say out of the box. We normally are much more given to complaint than we are to the Lord will make it right. So I wonder if we can, <clears throat> as we go forward, sort of remember what we're focused on and how we go forward. Look at the, just the bottom of the page. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I don't know that that would, it certainly doesn't describe America. Um, hopefully, it can describe us, that I can be content when there's nothing else but. So it's not as if you have to read the text. It's not like settling for second best. This is, I begged for, for resolution, and I didn't get it. And so, you know, after three times, I'm going to, relax into what the Lord has given me. I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities because this otherworldly statement, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, you know, you should remember that we don't get to choose our troubles. Uh, we don't get to choose our troubles. You know, 
sometimes we do. Self-inflicted wounds are the worst. But um, we don't get to choose our troubles often. Our troubles are visited on us or we're victims sometimes. And we still have to make a life of it because we're still here. I gave you this before, so I don't want to read it to you again. Except I will read to you just the highlighted parts. Suppress the cross in your life and your life will crumble. Try to go it alone and you're a dead man. Instead, never look at the cross without Jesus. With Jesus, I accept all crosses, all of them, if you will bear my cross with me. And I think this is the part of the thing about being lo- being, feeling alone and unloved that we forget. When Christians say, I'm so alone, or when Christians say, nobody loves me, that's a lie. Right? I mean, we, we should understand ourselves to be liars, and that's not so much a judgment as to say we should understand, understand ourselves as being united to Satan in that moment. Satan is the father of lies, and he teaches his children to lie. So when we say, I'm all alone, when we say, nobody loves me, that's a lie on the face of it, because as a baptized Christian who's received the Eucharist and been absolved, you're intertwined with Christ. So, never forget that the cross is a marvelous invention of divine mercy and that love is a choice. And you do have then the chance to choose love in every circumstance. Now, what I've tried to argue for you is that love is the only virtue, which means it becomes then the source of all other virtues. And among the other virtues is truth. It's very simple, right? The Lord loves you. He wants you home again. Because the Lord loves you and wants you home again, he sends his only begotten son. And his only begotten son, who is love, comes to tell you the truth. God loves you, so he tells you the truth about himself and about you. This really very simple, right? So we live this way because the touch of Jesus, the Eucharist, the words, the baptism, convince us that love manifests, love delivers, love bestows, love reveals. Love manifests truth. It does all these other things too, um, glory and hope and mercy, right? But love is the source. And we should do truth first. I'm just going to argue, even though I'm going to work you back in the text from John 17 back to probably 13 over the next couple of weeks. You need something to believe again. Um, you know, one of the casualties of the last couple of years is that nobody believes anything about anybody, right? And so informa- false information pops up every place. You know, all you who grew up with Walter Cronkite no longer have the sense that the newscasters are just telling you what happened. They're instead saying, I'm extraordinarily superior to you. I'm do your thinking for you. Just do what I say. And that kind of crosses all channels, right? I mean, there, there's hardly anything more elite than saying, I'm really smarter than you, so you should do what I say. Kind of like, ah, you should get a job on a farm in Iowa for a summer or two, and then, you know, bail hay, and then come back, and we'll talk this over, okay? <laughs> Calm down, everybody. It's dumb, D-U-M. Okay, so um, 
What we want to do then is uh, start with truth because if we believe it, like if truth, and by truth I don't mean thumping your next door neighbor with a Bible, I mean truth incarnate, Jesus the Christ. If somehow Jesus can become center again rather than your own anxiety, if Jesus can become center again rather than all the people who are barking at you all day long and want to influence you, if Jesus can become center again that rather than your own fears about what will happen to you. If, that, if Jesus can become center again, if truth can become center, love can become center, glory, holiness, you're going to recover and everything's going to be fine. If not, you're going to keep being miserable. So this is sort of a, you know, this is, a, this is an exercise in recovery, in healing. The great news about St. John is it's happening extraordinarily quickly. We're, we're um, you know, we don't, of course we don't know what to think. Right? When people don't come, why are they not coming? What's the trouble? But then, you know, this kind of regular pulse of about 10 or 20 people a week, you know, again and again and again, that's encouraging. And frankly, I know, and you know, a lot of you have talked to me about your own anxieties and nervousness and even judgments about other people and even within the congregation. But it's, in one sense, troubling, and in another sense, much less than it could have been. And I sort of attribute that to your discipline of Christ and Scripture and prayer and the liturgy and tithing and alms and mercy and witness. This notion that you're not made for yourself and you're not the center of the universe and you have a responsibility to everybody else who's here. And frankly, it's easy to blow up a church and it's hard to put a church together and you should recognize how fabulous this is and hold it together, right? Because you can't get this very many places. And it's here because of Christ, but it's here also because of you. And if you don't work at it, if you don't love each other, if you don't say what's true, if you don't care for yourself, if you don't go to the Eucharist, if you don't remember your baptism, if you don't confess your sins, if you don't come to the liturgy, if you don't rehearse it now of all times, you'll, you're lost and this place is lost. That was actually true even before COVID, but maybe truer now and maybe you should really pay attention to it. But if you do do it, you can have this and then you can have a lot more. And I think that's, you know, for me at least, the great tension, which is I'm always, um, and I've never stopped thinking this, and it's probably an error on my part, but in some sense it's true, which is you all don't realize how fabulous you could be or maybe how much more fabulous you could be, how much more good you could do, how, much res- how many resources you actually have, and what it means to have a community that comes back together like this. It's really fabulous. On the other hand, you know, uh, let's go. Whoa. That's not mine. Mine looks like this. So one of you hacked in. But what is it exactly? Maybe we should watch this. It is Ted Lasso. If we watch Ted Lasso, that'd be even better. The thing is, I can't top this, so we're going to pray and go. John... Get on top of that thing while everybody closes their eyes. Because I got do not disturb on. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Okay, we'll do John 17 next week. And then, uh, if you're a new member kind of person, come to new members and we'll have some fun. There's a lot cooking, and uh, you'll keep going. Thanks. <laughs>